This is sermons number 69, and we're picking up the story in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 1. Uh, Moses is still giving his long-winded sermon that recaps the events of the Exodus and the various laws and commandments that they received from the Yahweh Elohim along the way. The priests, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his inheritance. Now this kind of makes it sound like the Levites would eat all of the burnt offerings, the holy barbecue, uh, but that's really not the case. Uh, they're really just going to eat the leftovers or the, the less prime cuts, as we'll see a couple of verses later. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep. And they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw. <laughs> so the less prime cuts, uh, as I said before, Probably just the stuff that the Yahwehlians didn't want to eat themselves. Although, you know, shoulder meat's pretty good. They put it in spam. The first fruit also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. And if a Levite come from any of thy gates out of all Israel, where he sojourned, and come with all the desire of his mind unto the place which the Lord shall choose, then he shall minister in the name of the Lord his God, as all his brethren the Levites do, which stand there before the Lord. They shall have like portions to eat beside that which cometh of the sale of his patrimony. When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. <clears throat> this is a reference to um, the infant sacrifice to Moloch. Or that useth divination or an observer of times. I'm not sure about what an observer of times is, although it sounds like it could be an astrologer or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God, for these nations which thou shalt possess hearkened unto observers of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him ye shall hearken. This is Moses speaking, so like unto me. So you're not supposed to listen to diviners, but you are supposed to listen to prophets. But what's the difference? Um, I, I tried to look it up. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology 
defines divination as, quote, the communication with a deity for the purpose of determining the deity's knowledge, resulting in a clarification of a decision or discernment of the future. Doesn't that sound like prophecy? Isn't that a good definition of prophecy? Well, how do we know which is which, divination or prophecy? Well, apparently it's by considering the source of the information. Now, I think most modern day Christians would say that divination is of the devil while prophecy is from God. They would probably go on to distinguish between true prophets and false prophets and would lump the false prophets in with the diviners as receiving their information from oh, Satan, the devil, the enemy, the deceiver, you know. Um, and, and by all these terms, I think we're talking about other minor Elohim besides Yahweh. Now, once I finish Deuteronomy, which will finish the Torah and the Pentateuch, I think we'll step back in time, <laughs> believe it or not, and take a look at what many people believe to be the oldest book of the Bible. You know, that's not Genesis. The oldest book in the Bible, they think, they think is, could be Job, the book of Job. And, and we'll take a look at um, one of the early forms of this character, you know, that's known as the devil or Satan or whatever. He's really just another minor god. So really, Yahweh is saying through Moses not to believe information from any other gods. You know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I only believe the approved message of Yahweh. You know, he's like the government. You know, he is the government. It's a theocracy. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see this great fire any more that I die not. You know, it's more than I can stand. You know, this day of the assembly refers to when the tribes were all gathered together around the foot of Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, whatever you want to call it, waiting to uh, receive the commandments, the 10 or however many there are. There's a heck of a lot more than 10. The great fire that it refers to here was when the Yahwehlians descended in the smoke and fire of their ship. And the voice of the Lord was when they broadcast the commandments on loudspeakers. So apparently this was more than these primitive people could stand. You know, that, was, that would have been a very impressive display, you know, landing in smoke and fire and then the loud voice of the Lord coming on loudspeakers. And the Lord said unto me, Moses, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, like unto Moses, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. These are the false prophets. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, 
That is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. You know, the phrase, by their fruits ye shall know them, comes to mind. And that's the end of chapter 18, and we'll move on to chapter 19 now. When the Lord thy God hath cut off the nations whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their cities and in their houses, thou shalt separate three cities for thee in the midst of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. Thou shalt prepare thee away, and divide the coasts of thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit, into three parts, that every slayer may flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer, which shall flee thither, that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hated not in time past, as when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to hew wood, this is an example, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live, lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. Wherefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt separate three cities for thee. Now these are the sanctuary cities that we've talked about before. And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast, as he hath sworn unto thy fathers, and give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers, if thou shalt keep all these commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love the Lord thy God, and to walk ever in his ways, then shalt thou add three cities more for thee, beside these three, that innocent blood be not shed in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. But if any man hate his neighbor, and lie in wait for him, and rise up against him, and smite him mortally that he die, and fleeth into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence, and deliver him into the hand of the avenger of blood, that he may die. So it's up to the city government, you know, to determine if someone seeking sanctuary is guilty or not. And if he's guilty, then uh, they give him over to the avenger. <laughs> Thine eye shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. And we're on to a new topic now. It's talking about the landmarks that they used to write into the old deeds back before, you know, they had reliable surveyors and they could give the degrees and the minutes and so on. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, 
then both the man between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. Now, notice that the men actually stand before the Lord, Yahweh, as well as before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. Now, depending on which days it's talking about here, it may be that only the priests and the judges will be there. Yahweh may have moved on at this point. But it's pretty clear that he was there, or they were there at some point, and was actually acting as a judge. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall you do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. So if it was a capital crime and he was trying to get somebody executed, you know, then he would be executed. And if it was some lesser offense, you know, he would, he would receive the penalty that that lesser offense would have received. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. And thine eye shall not pity, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Chapter 20. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be, when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, Fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you, now, either in person or in the ark, to fight for you against your enemies, to save you. And the officers shall speak unto the people, saying, What man is there that hath built a new house, and hath not dedicated it? Let him go and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man dedicate it. So there's an exemption from the draft. And what man is he that hath planted a vineyard, and hath not yet eaten of it? Let him also go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man eat of it. A second exemption. If you've got too much going on at home, you just don't have to go into the army, into the battle. And what man is there that hath betrothed a wife, and hath not taken her? Let him go and return unto his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man take her. Now this is a third exemption from battle, although it seems like he could have taken her the night before he reported for duty. You know, that's what they did in World War II. <laughs> According to those old movies I watch, on Turner Classic Movies. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Now, that's a pretty big exemption, you know. If your heart's not in it, just don't go. Yeah. 
The justification being that your lack of morale will spread to the other men, and it would be better to have a smaller but a more enthusiastic fighting force, an all-volunteer army, in other words. Now, an example of this is found in Judges chapter 7, verse 3, when an army was being formed at Mount Gilead. And this verse reads, Now therefore go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. So they lost more than two-thirds of their fighting force, you know, because of this, this uh, my heart's not in it exemption. But the ones who were left were the elite, and that's really all they needed. And it shall be when the officers have made an end of speaking unto the people that they shall make captains of the armies to lead the people. When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. And it shall be, if it make thee answer of peace and open unto thee, then it shall be that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. Now, tributaries here has nothing to do with rivers and creeks and streams and so on. just means somebody who pays tribute. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. And when the Lord thy God hath delivered it into thine hands, thou shalt smite every male thereof with the edge of the sword. That'll teach them. But the women and the little ones and the cattle and all that is in the city, even all the spoil thereof, shalt thou take unto thyself, and thou shalt eat the spoil of thine enemies, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. But the cities of these people which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth. But thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations which they have done unto their gods. So should ye sin against the Lord your God. Now remember, these other gods are the Yahwehlians fellow Anunnaki. Their, their fellow Elohim. And these people, the Hittites and the Amorites and Canaanites and so on, are just the competition of the Israelites. We don't remember much about these other gods and these other groups because, <laughs> spoiler alert, the Yahweh and the Israelites were successful in conquering them. And they probably destroyed their history. We know about the Israelites, because their history was preserved. When thou shalt besiege a city a long time, and making war against it to take it, thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof by forcing an axe against them, for thou mayest eat of them, and thou shalt not cut them down. For the tree of the field is man's life, to employ them in the siege. Only the trees which thou knowest that they be not trees for meat, 
for food, thou shalt destroy and cut them down, and thou shalt build bulwarks against the city that maketh war with thee until it be subdued. Because, you know, you'll need those fruit trees, nut trees, later on after you've conquered that city. And that's the end of chapter 20. So let's go on to chapter 21. If one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take an heifer which hath not been wrought with, and which hath not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer into a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. <laughs> Poor heifer. And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near, for them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Well, they did shed that blood. I guess he's talking about the blood of the man that they're redeeming here. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Now, at first, this seems like some sort of stupid, superstitious ritual, but if you think about it, what this really amounts to is a penalty or a fine levied against a city for not being able to solve and punish you know, the crimes that its people commit. These heifers were presumably public property, um, you know, something that they had collected as taxes. So it was the government, the religious leaders, who were being punished for not holding the actual perpetrator responsible. When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among the captives a beautiful woman, and hast a desire unto her that thou wouldst have her to thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head and pare her nails. Now this is apparently... So you can decide if you really want to marry her or if you were just attracted to her long, long hair and her nails. And she shall put the raiment of her captivity from off her and shall remain in thine house and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that thou shalt go in unto her and be her husband and she shall be thy wife. Now this thing about putting off the raiment of her captivity is puzzling at first. Um, because the raiment of her captivity sounds like her slave garments. But apparently, when women saw that their city was about to fall, they would get all dressed up so they would be more attractive to their captors. 
and, and so they would get to live in a nice house instead of a slave shack. So the remnant of their captivity is her nice clothes. So, you know, putting off the raiment of her captivity is kind of like shaving her head and cutting off her long, fancy nails. Um, and then that 30-day waiting period gives the guy a chance to decide if he really loves her or not, or if it's just an infatuation. And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then thou shalt let her go whither she will. But thou shalt not sell her at all for money, Thou shalt not make merchandise of her because thou hast humbled her. So you, you, you made her think she was going to be your bride, and then you uh, had second thoughts, Indian giver. <laughs> you know, you can't just sell her into slavery after that. If a man have two wives, one beloved and another hated, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, which is indeed the firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his." You might remember the story of Jacob and Esau, uh, the fraternal twins. Uh, Esau was born just moments before Jacob, who came out hanging on to his foot or something. So he had this birthright of a double portion of his father's fortune, but Jacob swindled him out of it with a bowl of soup, uh, pottage, uh, stew, whatever, taking advantage of the fact that Esau was starving. And this Jacob, you know, was later renamed Israel, and he's the uh, the namesake of the Israelites. He, he's the founding father of the Israelites. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of his city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of this city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. This is rather harsh, I think, but apparently the Yahwehlians couldn't abide ne'er-do-wells. You know, they had created these people as a slave race, and you can't have slaves that won't slave. But, and this, this boy would have to have been pretty bad because both the mother and the father had to take the initiative to deliver him to be stoned. You know. Notice this only applies to males. Females didn't have as much power as males, nowhere near as much power, but then they didn't have anywhere near as much responsibility either. <clears throat> and, you know, if their city was about to be conquered, they could just get a nice hairdo and a, a mani-pedi, <laughs> put on their sexiest outfit, and then just wait for some conquering hero to notice them. And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, 
His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Well, that's the end of chapter 21, and we're about out of time, so we'll pick it up next time at the beginning of Deuteronomy 22. Until then, keep the faith, learn the difference between divination and prophecy, if that's possible, and don't marry some chick just because you like her hair and her nails and her nice clothes. You know, make her shave her head and see if you still like her after a month. <laughs>